Should Ryan Tannehill mentor Malik Willis? How will Tyron Matthew fit in on the New Orleans Saints defense? And how will the DeAndre Hopkins suspension impact the Arizona Cardinals? All that and more on today's episode of Locked On NFL. You are Locked On NFL. Your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome into another episode of the Locked On NFL Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Monday, so that means you have me, Kevin Ostriker, the host of Locked On Ravens. And thank you for making Locked On NFL your first listen of the day. We're free and available on all platforms, including on YouTube. And today's episode of Locked On NFL is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is covered the season with more props, odds, and lies than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And we are now in another week of NFL talk as the NFL draft is officially now over. We have gone through a week without that NFL draft. And today we're going to be talking with three different hosts about the biggest stories that have happened throughout the NFL recently. First, starting off with Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints, talking about Tyron Matthew and his partnership with the New Orleans Saints. Then moving into Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans as we discuss the Ryan Tannehill comments pertaining to Malik Willis and the mentorship aspect. And then finally, we'll talk with Alice Clancy of Locked On Cardinals about the DeAndre Hopkins suspension and how the Cardinals could weather that storm with the six games that DeAndre Hopkins has been suspended for. So let's talk about first Tyron Matthew with Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints. Joining me now, the host of Locked On Saints, Ross Jackson, to talk about one of the biggest stories of the week and Tyron Matthew signing with the Saints on a three-year, $33 million contract, Ross. This was a big get for the Saints, all things considered. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm great, man. Yeah, it absolutely was. It was a, a phenomenal signing for New Orleans and at a big-time position of need with their two starters from last year gone uh, in what was a top-five scoring defense. So, you know, they really, really needed this uh, signing. And, of course, they get the hometown boy to come home. So it's a phenomenal story off the field, but it's going to pay dividends for the Saints on the field as well. Oh, yeah, and that's where I want to start, just with the impact that Matthew will make on the field. You mentioned those two starters no longer with the Saints. Mm-hmm. Safety being a pretty big need for this team going into the draft. They don't take one. So then Matthew comes in and fills that spot. So what type of a player is he in this New Orleans defense, and what can he do for that unit? Yeah, I think you can expect him to kind of slide into Malcolm Jenkins' role, which was one of maybe a little bit more of a box safety, playing closer to the line of scrimmage, blitzing the quarterback every now and then, being fantastic and run support and being trusted in that area, as opposed to being the more deep safety type, uh, Mal- uh, excuse me, Marcus Williams, who the Saints lost and is now in your neck of the woods over the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, don't expect Tyron Matthew to play full time there. He might take some snaps there. The Saints move their safeties. They disguise their secondary or disguise their defense quite a bit with the majority of that disguise coming from the way that they roll their safeties and utilize the secondary that might be a little bit more Marcus May than uh, Tyron Matthew who they signed early on in free agency but for Matthew he's going to come in and be able to make an impact closer to the line of scrimmage he's going to kind of be able to be a bit of a pesky nuisance uh, near the line of scrimmage along with CJ Gardner Johnson who'll continue to play in the nickel and play up against the line of scrimmage as well so that's where I would expect him to to kind of fill the need for the New Orleans Saints that as well as the leadership on the field and the communication on the field expect Tyron Matthew to be the guy to call some of the shots for the secondary. 
Yeah, and I think for Matthew, getting him on the deal that the Saints got him on, three years, $33 million, I think it's pretty good value, all things considered. He obviously waits until after the draft to sign. How big of a value was this for the Saints and what they were able to get? Yeah, so it, there was value here based in the contract, first of all. Obviously, $11 million per year is great value for one of the better playmakers in the NFL at the position when it comes to safety, particularly as a box safety. And so, you know, you bring that playmaking ability in and then you bring him in a, in a little bit less than his market value. You know, you look at Spot Rack, who, you know, does a lot of great work with all the contracts and breaking down contract terms and everything. And they have a market value system that they use that kind of projects what a player's value is in the free agency market. And the market was set for him at $14.8 million in terms of their estimation. So coming in a bit under that was great for the New Orleans Saints. He also came in a bit under value in terms of Marcus May's contract as well. So being able to land two new starters in your defense, you know, right around the $10 million, couple million dollars either way uh, range is, is really, really fantastic. And yeah, he waited until after the draft, which also told you he wasn't going to get kind of like maximum safety money in that case. But, you know, it doesn't really impact the Saints in terms of compensatory picks because, you know, it does get them outside of the compensatory free agency period. But they didn't, they weren't in line for any compensatory picks. However, um, Tyra Matthew waiting that long to sign with New Orleans does mean that Kansas City, who effectively broke his heart by not bringing him back and instead get going on a cheaper deal to Justin Reed, they won't see any comp picks for that. So Tyron Matthew gets to come home and kind of sticks it to his former team a little bit as well. Yeah, interesting. Huh? It's kind of crazy how it all works out. The storylines, the mini storylines that can come out of that. But <laughs> Russ, you, you look at the safety position for New Orleans and they didn't take one in the 2022 draft. You know, there was some rumblings that they could, but mm -hmm. did you expect this deal after the draft to kind of get done after the Saints didn't make that move and take a safety? Yeah, I would say that I did. And in fact, I expected it after the second round. The, the moment that pick 49 came and went and they weren't able to add a safety. And I'll tell you the safety that they were probably most interested in was Jaquan Brisker, the Penn State safety, who went at 48 to the Chicago Bears, one selection before the New Orleans Saints got on the board at 49. So once I saw Jaquan Brisker go off the board and I saw them go with Alante Taylor out of Tennessee, who's going to compete at the cornerback spot on the outside, I figured, okay, the Tyra Matthew deal is pretty much all but said and done at this point. Tyron didn't take any other visits anywhere else, and he confirmed that. He talked to us after he signed. He came in and did his, uh, his um, introductory press conference, and he told us that he, you know, no uh, other visits. He had a virtual visit with the Philadelphia Eagles, so I guess they like Skyped him in on an on a, on a iPad or something. But you know, he, the only place that he was the entire offseason was, was in the state of Louisiana. He was in New Orleans, and he was in Baton Rouge speaking at his alma mater, LSU. So uh, once I saw... 49 come down and it wasn't you know maybe another safety that could have potentially fallen at that spot after they missed out on brisker i figured okay tyron matthews coming home right and can you kind of talk about that connection he has with the city yeah. and with the state of louisiana because it really feels like this is such a feel-good story for both matthew and the saints and the city and the state i mean can mm -hmm. you kind of talk about that a little bit yeah absolutely i mean look this is a guy that was born and raised in New Orleans, went to St. Augustine High School, played football there in New Orleans, went to Baton Rouge uh, to play college football at LSU. And every single offseason that this guy has been available. So when he moved on from the Arizona Cardinals to the Houston Texans, that free agency period, everyone wanted Tyron Matthew in New Orleans. There was a big campaign for it among Saints fans, all of that. And there were some rumblings about you know, Tyron Matthew not being interested in returning to New Orleans. He kind of clarified that for us when he spoke to us the other day and basically said, look, I was making a lot of money 
and it was I was 20-something years old. I wanted to wait until I matured enough that I could come back to the city of New Orleans and have something to give back. And so here he is coming back. He'll be 30 years old once the season begins. Same thing happened when the, you know his contract expired with the Houston Texans before he signed with the Kansas City Chiefs and would eventually win a Super Bowl there. Everyone wanted him in New Orleans. And he was actually in New Orleans doing, you know, he does um, uh, camps, summer camps every year and everything in the, city, in the city of New Orleans. He always gives back to the community there. And now he's coming back finally. Uh, and, you know, the next time that he takes the field, it'll be in the black and gold as a New Orleans Saint. And so he gets to get back to his hometown team that he rooted for. He gets to get back to the community that he grew up in and that he has continued to get back to. And he gets to be right in the backyard the entire time. He shared a story with us about the 2009 Super Bowl win in which he and his friends, right after the Super Bowl had concluded, Super Bowl, uh, when, when the Saints won 31-17 to against the uh, Indianapolis Colts, their one and only Super Bowl appearance and one and only Super Bowl win, he talks about going down to Canal Street to help celebrate because everyone was going nuts in, in the city of New Orleans, as you would imagine, and then was able to follow that up immediately by saying, I celebrated the first Super Bowl win, and now I'm here to help the Saints win their second Super Bowl. And it's such a rare and unique opportunity that he has in returning to his hometown team. And it feels like he's going to be such a great leader, both on and off field. But can you talk a bit about that off field impact that I think he'll probably have for the city and what he'll be able to do now that he's not just a member of the NFL and kind of working a little bit with the city and other teams and now just a member of the Saints? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things to look at. I mean, his seven on seven camps every year, as well as his football camps every year are extremely popular. He's already doing those in the city of New Orleans. You can expect that to ramp up and just have a larger impact doing that in the Saints training facility, for instance, things like that. The other piece is that he'll be able to now partner with guys like Demario Davis, as well as Cam Jordan, who have already had such a massive impact within the community with the work that they've done. Demario Davis does, you know, I mean, this guy, he's rewritten legislature (laughs) in the state of Louisiana to make sure that people who are incarcerated on in nonviolent crimes still have the right to vote, right? So like they're reinstilling people's civil rights in the city of, of New Orleans and in the state of Louisiana. And so now he gets to operate and work alongside those guys to have a larger impact within the community as well. Yeah, well, I think this is a phenomenal fit both on and off the field for New Orleans, for the Saints, and for Matthew himself. Russ, I appreciate you coming on and talking with me about Tyron Matthew today. And I'm excited to see Matthew work both on and off the field for this New Orleans Saints team. Absolutely. We all are, too, very excited to see him back in the city of New Orleans. and can't wait to see how it impacts the Saints because I'll tell you this. I think now this New Orleans Saints defense in terms of its personnel in 2022 is better than it was in 2021. And that though 2020 and 2021 were both top five scoring defenses. So I expect the Saints to be able to win off of defense again in 2022 and actually be a competitor in a weakened NFC South. See, while that conference over by you and the AFC is getting stronger, NFC has done nothing but get weaker. So I think that that opens up the door for the New Orleans Saints, especially with the moves like they're, what they're doing so far this offseason. You know, the, the phrase is defense wins championships. And I think the Saints <laughs> are really making that come true with the additions they've made. Russ, thanks so much. Always, buddy. A big thanks to Ross for hopping on talking Tyron Matthew with me. I'm really excited to see how the Saints use him. It feels like a really, really good partnership between the two, both on and off the field. So I think the Saints defense will be very, very dominant in 2022, especially with all the pieces they have, including Tyron Matthew. We'll head into our first break here on Locked on NFL. When we get back, we'll be diving in to the Ryan Tannehill comments pertaining to Malik Willis and the mentorship aspect of that. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Still a ton to talk about on Locked on NFL. But first, I do want to tell you a bit about Bet Online. And BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your sports betting stats and sports info. And for me, who's a Denver Nuggets guy and whose team is eliminated from the playoffs, 
It can be a little tough, but there are still a ton to bet on. There are a ton of really good sports developments, league reviews, news, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball, and, of course, the Kentucky Derby as well, which happened in BetOnline.net. These are continued social our sports wagering information from live betting to the playoffs, eSports, and more. There are a ton of options with BetOnline, so be sure to head to the website, use a mobile device to learn more about the trends in action, BetOnline, where the game starts. We return here with our second segment of Locked On NFL. Kevin Ostriker, your host, still here with you. And again, thank you for making Locked On NFL your first listen of the day. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube and follow us wherever you get your podcast. But now here in the second segment, we're going to be diving into a conversation with Tyler Rowland about the controversy surrounding Ryan Tannehill's comments about mentoring Malik Willis. Let's talk about that now with Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans. Joining me now is the host of Locked on Titans, Tyler Rowland, to talk about some comments from Ryan Tannehill about new Titans quarterback Malik Willis. And Tyler, the Titans, they picked Malik Willis at pick number 86, a pick that I personally really liked, but I first wanted to get your thoughts on it. How are you doing today and how'd you feel about that pick? Yeah, it's a great day to talk football. I know that. Glad to be on here. Uh, my second day that I'll be on the show this week. Uh, make sure you subscribe to Locked On NFL Podcast and all platforms. But uh, yeah, I feel great, and I feel great about the pick. Obviously, the AJ Brown trade kind of rocked the draft plan for the Titans. But I think getting Malik Willis at pick eighty-six, probably the highest upside quarterback in the draft, with very low risk because of the trade backs that the Titans were able to execute and to accumulate the nine draft picks that they were able to and use those. Very low risk on the pick, very high reward. So although, you know, not a great draft process for the Titans uh, completely all the way through, I think uh, capitalizing on Malik Willis at 86 was a smart move by Titans GM John Robinson to set himself up for, uh, for a, a cheap, productive quarterback in the future. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that kind of moves us into the Tannehill comments because obviously the one of the big stories of the week is Ryan Tannehill saying that it's not his job to mentor Malik Willis, a quarterback who's coming in, obviously can learn a great deal from a player like Ryan Tannehill, but Tannehill doesn't seem to want to take that step into personally going out of his way to mentor a step that many quarterbacks have taken. Some have not. This is not the first time we've kind of seen something like this happen. Right. But were, were you shocked at all by the comments made by Tannehill? Was that something that you thought would, would be said by a quarterback like Tannehill? Well, you hit on it right there at the very end. Was I shocked that he feels like that? No. I mean, you traded my number one weapon, who has literally led me to the best years of my career, and then you draft my replacement right away. Am I happy? No. Am I going to help this kid out, go out of my way? No, probably not. But I will tell you, I was shocked that Tannehill came out and said it. He's very polished when it comes to the media. He know, The Titans are lock and key as an organization when it comes to talking to the media, and I guess... In my opinion, Ryan Tannehill, based on my experience with him, he knows better and he knows what kind of reaction would happen to him saying something like that. So was I shocked he felt that way? No, but I was shocked that he did come out and, and say it. Uh, I'm surprised he took that leap because Tannehill knows what happens when you say things like that in this league. Right. Definitely a lot of pushback, a lot of backlash for the comments for sure. But I mean, part of this, Tyler, it feels like obviously Ryan Tannehill's postseason was not where you wanted it to be. If you're a Titans fan, part of the Titans organization and bringing in Willis, a very talented young signal caller. There are different opinions as to just when Malik Willis could potentially start at the NFL level. Some believe that 
you know, if Tannehill struggles, he could come in and, and provide some positive impact. Others believe it's more of a he'll sit behind Tannehill for a year situation. Do you see a situation where Willis can play if there's no injury to Tannehill? Do you see a situation where Willis comes in and plays and maybe replaces Tannehill if he struggles a little bit? Well, I guess there are two different answers to the way that you posed the question. Do I think that he could come in and play even if Ryan Tannehill is not injured? My answer is yes. Replace, though. No, the answer is no. There is no realm where Ryan Tannehill is replaced by Malik Willis if Ryan Tannehill is healthy. Now, there are some scouts out there that do believe that Malik Willis would have been drafted as a running back if that's what he wanted to be uh, coming into this draft class. So I think there's absolutely a role out there for Malik Willis to be used in, in goal line situations, red zone situations, short yarded situations, get him some packages in with some run plays to take advantage of that talent, that talent and that ability. Then of course, you know, he can, he can do some wildcat things and, and throw. He's a quarterback at the end of the day. So once you get that run game going and that package installed for him, then you have some, some throws off of that. But Ryan Tannehill is still a, a really good quarterback. I think he's probably somewhere from the ninth to 14th best quarterback in the NFL on most given days. So I think he's still clearly far and away the best quarterback on the roster. And you add in, like you mentioned, Malik Willis does need a ton of development in terms of how to run an NFL offense. He doesn't even have a lot of experience taking the ball from under center. So he needs that development. But I think that there are smart ways you can utilize his talent and what he brings to the table already while not replacing Ryan Tannehill as the team's quarterback in 2022. So yes and no, or yes and yes, but no replacing Tannehill. But I definitely would get Malik Willis on the field in certain situations. Right, certainly a, a dynamic player. And I think with what you have with him, I mean, you can use him in a bunch of different packages, but at the end of the day, you mentioned he is a quarterback. That is where he should be playing, in my opinion. And it feels like eventually he has the potential to be a very good starter at this level. But Tyler, kind of talking about what the offense would look like with Willis under center as opposed to Tannehill. If there is an injury, and you know, hopefully, obviously, there's not. But right. if there is a situation where Tannehill has to miss a game or two or something, how confident would you be in, in the offensive shift that would happen from Tannehill to Willis and what that would look like? Well, I think you always get a little bit a little bit of a bump when you unveil a new style of offense as a team. I mean, we've seen uh throughout the years different, you know, I guess gadget styles with uh, the Wildcat and things like that that have been used. Teams come out doing different things like the Ravens, a team you know a lot about. They came out with a unique style of offense once they installed Lamar Jackson as the starter. I think like we see in Baltimore, like we see in maybe Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts. Uh, you would want to utilize the quarterback more in the run game and get that extra blocking advantage. You get that 10th blocker when you use the quarterback as a runner. And the Titans showcased a lot of schemed up offense last year, quick screens, quick throws, not to much success. And I was very unhappy with that portion of the playbook. I don't believe Titans offensive coordinator Todd Downing is the guy to make Malik Willis a success in this league. So that's a concern right now. But Tim Kelly is a senior offensive assistant who I do have faith in who developed Deshaun Watson. So I think his help and him 
becoming the offensive coordinator eventually gives the Titans some hope there. But I think they would have to craft the offense with more of those schemed up opportunities, quick throws, add in more RPO into the offense where you're uh, allowing easy opportunities and space for your playmakers. I think they'd have to simplify the offense for Malik Willis early on and incorporate a lot more quarterback run if he was thrust into a starting role due to injury or whatever early in the year. Again, I really do think that year of development working with senior offensive assistant Tim Kelly, who worked with Deshaun Watson, as I mentioned, in Houston, I think that is absolutely crucial to him becoming a successful quarterback. So I hope that he isn't thrust into any opportunities uh, that he doesn't need right now. But if that were the case, I think we'd see more scheme throws and more quarterback run game for the Titans. Right. And, and we've certainly seen that red shirt year per se really help quarterbacks out as they kind of sit and learn and are able to work on their skills. And Ryan Tannehill did say, you know, if Willis picks up some stuff along the way, then, then that's great. So Tyler, when you look at what Ryan Tannehill brings and what Willis could learn from him in that aspect, what are some things that Willis could pick up from Tannehill as the year goes on? Well, I think there are so many little intricacies of the position. Think about depth on routes. Uh, you know, I need I need you to stop on the curl at, at 11 and a half yards as opposed to, to 12 or 13. Timing, hey, this guy is going to become open here. And I think one thing for Malik Willis is going to be reading what coverage the defense is in and then determining from that which route is going to be the, the most advantageous for him. A lot of the time in college, he saw what he saw and then he predetermined and he decided to do it or he wanted to make a play with his legs. So I, I think learning how to think on the fly during the play and adjust to different coverages, especially in the NFL where teams will roll coverage and change coverage uh, right as the snap is happening, especially a team like Baltimore, of course, who does that so well. Um, I, I think all of those little things that Ryan Tannehill uh, is used to as a veteran – depth, how to talk to your wide receivers, how to explain to them where to be. I think all those little things he could pick up from Ryan Tannehill, amongst a ton of other things, how to call the plays in the huddle. I mean, there are just so many things a young quarterback could learn from a veteran like Ryan Tannehill, which does lead to some disappointment with those comments because, you know, the Titans as an organization need Tannehill to maybe be a helping hand to Malik Willis. And Tannehill, the rest of his career in the NFL, if you're Ryan Tannehill, you're going to be a bridge quarterback for a team that probably has a young quarterback that you're going to be expected to help along while still doing well at your job. That will be part of his job for the rest of his NFL career. Now, as long as he's with the Titans, when he leaves the Titans, he is in the Andy Dalton phase of his career as a clear bridge quarterback with a young guy that's going to be looked to be brought in. So I think he needs to change his mentality quickly if he wants to prolong his career in the league. Yeah, there's so many benefits to mentoring. And I understand the whole competition standpoint where, you know, Willis was brought in, yeah, to compete with Tannehill for his job. But everyone's uh, in competition in the NFL. You know, like Taylor Lewan, Titans left tackle, said that he would help out and mentor Nicholas Petit Ferrer, the, the rookie offensive tackle who a lot of people think could take his job in a year. But he didn't come out and say that he wouldn't. It's not part of my job to teach young guys. You got to pay it forward in the NFL. That's the way that this works. Teach the young guys, impart the wisdom. So I'm more disappointed from more of a philosophical standpoint than anything with Tannehill's comments. Right. It's, you know, you get mentored and you pass that knowledge on. It's it's bridging and bridging that's, and bridging. That's not just football. That's life, man. Right. So, right. no, nah, you know, I'm not going to go out of my way to help the young guy. But if he just pays attention, he'll learn enough. Like, I get it, man, but nah, I just don't like it.
No, I completely understand. And, you know, when Lamar Jackson came into the league, Joe Flacco kind of had a couple of the same things yep. with that. And I was also disappointed in that. So Willis to Tannehill. And we've seen a couple veterans also not really take that route. It's kind of disappointing to see. But at the end of the day, mentoring or not, I think Willis will still be a very successful quarterback at the NFL level, okay. regardless of the Tannehill mentoring, whether that happens or it doesn't. But right. Tyler, I appreciate you stopping by here today. Thank you so much for talking Malik Willis. And I'm excited to see how Tennessee ends up using him for the entirety of the season. Same as well. Thanks, Kevin. Again, a big thanks to Tyler for coming on here talking with me about Ryan Tannehill, Malik Willis, and the Tennessee Titans. And again, regardless of whether Willis is mentored by Tannehill or not, I have a feeling he's going to have a very successful NFL career. We'll head into our final break here on Locked on NFL. When we get back, we'll be diving into the DeAndre Hopkins suspension with Alex Clancy of Locked on Cardinals. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Still a ton to talk about on Locked on NFL, but first... I do want to tell you a bit about Built Bar. And summer is coming, and with summer, you're going to need some food on the go. Built Bars are the perfect snacks to take with you on family vacations. You can throw them in your bags or even in your kids' backpacks. And the best part about Built Bar is they're healthy and delicious, so no more sacrificing delicious foods for health with Built Bar. You can have both, and it's really easy, too. All you have to do is go to Built.com and order now. And all Built Bars and Puffs are covered in 100% real chocolate. That means with Built Bar, you can eat healthy and actually enjoy doing it because they're just really, really good tasting. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. So you can go to Built.com right now to get all your favorite flavors, including banana cream pie and raspberry and double chocolate and so many more. My favorite, personally, is mint brownies. Go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15. Get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. We are back here with our final segment of Locked on NFL here on Monday. Kevin Ostriker, your host, still hanging out with you here. And again, thank you so much for making Locked on NFL your first listen of the day. And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can find all of our daily podcasts as well as other content. And also be sure to follow us anywhere you get your podcasts. So whether that is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or more, we're available for you there. But now in our final segment, we're going to be diving into the DeAndre Hopkins suspension and how the Arizona Cardinals could weather that storm with Alice Clancy of Locked On Cardinals. So let's dive into that conversation right now. Joining me here now for the second straight week is Locked On Cardinals host Alex Clancy. Now, as we've talked a lot about the wide receiver position in Arizona, first with Marquise Brown, now with the suspension of DeAndre Hopkins for six games. How are you doing today? I mean, better than Hopkins, but, you know, I, you know, it's – I'm kerfuffled a little bit with, with the suspension. I'll, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, and I wanted to first start off with – you know, out of, out of all the players, maybe on the Cardinals or up the NFL, what you know about DeAndre Hopkins, the player and the person, how surprised were you that this news came down, that he actually was suspended by the NFL for six games for this? I mean, it's something that kind of came as a shock to me, but I, I wanted to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he's been a consummate pro since day one. I mean, even when he was at Clemson, like, there's never been an issue like this ever. And the, the only thing, um, and I equate this to, like, you know, fans in fans in Phoenix uh, hate on Andy Isabella. And this is an example. It'll make sense in a second. And the reason why they hate on Andy Isabella is because he wasn't DK Metcalf, who the Cardinals could have taken after trading away Josh Rosen, getting an extra second round pick. With DeAndre Hopkins suspension, people automatically tie it to Patrick Peterson's PED suspension after he was injured towards the tail end of his peak. So I think that that's unfair for in a couple different ways for DeAndre Hopkins. First of all, I was shocked, and I 100% believe him that he didn't know. Well, how could you not know? I don't know. He just didn't know. I 100% believe that he did not do that knowingly, which would put his career and the team's 
you know, success at risk. 100% don't. And then number two, I do think it's very unfair comparing it to the Patrick Peterson situation. Right. And Alex, you've seen this offense without DeAndre Hopkins before. Now they've added Marquise Brown. We'll talk about that in a second, but just, can you kind of go through what it was like without him and what the Cardinals did to kind of make up for his absence? I mean, it wasn't good, you know, comparatively speaking. And there's a couple different things in play here. And I say this somewhat tongue in cheek, but you've seen the graphic. If you're a Cardinals fan, if you're not, if you're around the NFL, you've seen the graphic of Cliff Kingsbury's coaching record during the second half of seasons since he's taken over. And it hasn't been good. I don't know how much weight was on either side. If it was the reason why the Cardinals fell off a cliff was because of DeAndre Hopkins not being there or because Cliff Kingsbury's inability to really win games when they need to. Um, I think it's a little bit of both, but obviously this offense from last year, it became predicated upon James Conner. And then he ended up breaking down a little bit because I call it, he got Arian fostered in Pittsburgh. He just got run into the ground and now you kind of have to be careful with him all in all. This doesn't work without DeAndre Hopkins from what we've seen so far. I know they've added pieces. So, uh, this new iteration of it hopefully will hold up a little bit better than it did towards the second half of last season. Right. And let's talk a bit about those new pieces, because obviously now with Hopkins out of the full for the first six games, the Cardinals would be relying on guys like Marquise Brown, and obviously Rondale Moore, AJ Green, those guys returning and a couple other weapons in there. How confident are you in those players? Plus obviously Kyler Murray to keep the ship afloat while Hopkins sits out and then returns after six games. It's the latter that I'm confident in implicitly in Kyler Murray. Like I know that he has, um, I can't say the word shortcomings because people make a joke about his height. I know he's not a perfect quarterback yet. I know he's not where he can be. He hasn't taken that Josh Allen jump. Josh Allen, you know, like I feel like that's coming from Kyler Murray. I trust him. I trust his knowledge of the offense. And I also trust Zach Ertz. I trust James Conner. I trust Rodney Hudson and DJ Humphreys. Like with Hollywood Brown, we don't know if five years ago is going to be the same as now. We don't know if guys who had to go to third period French on Monday that Hollywood Brown was running past in the Big 12 is going to translate to now. Now, he was a he balled out for the first part of last season with Lamar Jackson before Lamar Jackson got hurt. I think that was Lamar Jackson's best year as a quarterback in the NFL last year with everybody getting hurt and him being a leader. I think that it will keep the Cardinals afloat, but I don't know in what capacity Trey McBride and Hollywood Brown will make an immediate impact. I also think it depends on who they play in the first six weeks. Right, the schedule coming out, it's going to be huge just to see whose schedule's easier, whose schedule's harder, first half, mm -hmm. second half. But, Ellis, when you look at the actual targets that are going to be kind of having to be soaked up by all these other players, who do you think benefits the most from that? Who do you think gains the most targets? Is, a player, is it a player like Marquise Brown, who obviously I think moves up to number one now in Arizona, mm -hmm. at least for the first six weeks? Or is it more of the two and the threes like A.J. Green, Rondo, Moore, or even someone else? You know, it's a really interesting question, especially with how the Cardinals utilized DeAndre Hopkins. You know, he was an absolute fantasy darling wide receiver one in, in Houston. Everybody knew the ball was going to him and he caught every, you know, it just, that was, that was their first and second option. They used DeAndre Hopkins a lot as a, as a decoy here in this offense. He hasn't had 10 touchdowns in a season since he's come to Arizona. You know, he had... In his first year, they underused him, and he still had 1,400 receiving yards and 110 receptions. So with Hollywood Brown, they we could be looking at that also, and because of that, the answer to me is going to be Zach Ertz specifically. Um, maybe not like percentage of target bumped up, not just actual total targets, but like 
his usage is going to skyrocket, in my opinion, for the first six weeks. Now, that could be split with him and Trey McBride. If Trey McBride comes in and makes an immediate impact, I don't think Hollywood Brown's going to get 10 targets a game. I just don't. Uh, A.J. Green had a huge uptick in targets when DeAndre Hopkins went out. Obviously, McBride and Hollywood Brown weren't on the roster last year. But I think it's going to be Zach Ertz. I think it's going to be James Conner. And if they bring in another running back uh, to back up James Conner, I think it's going to be that and not necessarily Hollywood Brown getting 10 targets a game. Right. So let's talk a bit about James Conner in the run game because it feels like they could shift a little bit more to that. Do you feel like James Conner, you talked about him kind of getting run into the ground and the second half he kind of broke down. Do you fear that kind of happening this season as well with Hopkins yes. not being there for the first six Yes. Games? Well, and it wasn't even with DeAndre Hopkins being out. It was the fact that they haven't addressed the running back position. Now they drafted a kid out of USC in the sixth round who I had uh, Trevor Sikkim on and I've talked to some draft people. They're like, that was a really good value pick from them. He played in Texas for three years and then went to USC for his last year. But my biggest fear after losing Chase Edmonds for not that much money, like, he, I mean, he, Miami didn't give him a whole bunch of cheese, but he left. If they think that James Conner can be a 25 to 30 touch guy when they need him to be to start the year with no backup plan, that's a recipe for disaster. It's a, it's a recipe for disaster. And they, he was the most important offensive player, not named Cliff, Kyler Murray last year for the Cardinals. Highest usage, he had almost 20 touchdowns. Like it was magical. And it obviously breaks down because, you know, he's had he's had some injury concerns and Pittsburgh overused him like they did Le'Veon Bell and pretty much every running back they have. They need to bring in another running back for 40% of the touches. Even though they gave him 10 mil a year or upwards of, using him 60% of the time for the whole year is a lot better than using him 90% of the time for 10 games. So yes, it, it scares the hell out of me that they're going to try and ride him and replicate what they did last year, chasing fantasy points, as it were. You know, you sit a guy, then you start him the next week, hoping that he's going to replicate, you know, the, the last week's performance. They need backup dancers for James Conner if he's going to stay the whole year. Right, and, you know, speaking of kind of like that backup dancer thing, do you feel like the Cardinals potentially for these first six weeks could bring in like a lower-level veteran as a wide receiver option, or do you feel like they have enough on their roster already to kind of make that up? That's a really good question. Um, and I said this on the, my podcast, one of them last week, if they have a murderer's row in the first six weeks, they're going to have to bring in a wide receiver. Because so say they play Kansas City to open the, the year at home, and then they go to Vegas, and then, you know, they have, you know, New Orleans with that defense number. You know, they play the Rams at home or the 49. Like, they can't afford to start two and four. Now, I don't think not having DeAndre Hopkins is directly correlative of a win-loss record, but it isn't not, you know? So it, like... That's a really, really good question because Julio Jones is still out there. I think he's outpriced at this point. He's going to get an $8 million one-year deal, I would assume, from a team that needs wide receiver help. Like a guy like Emmanuel Sanders or um, who, like, I don't know. Like there's plenty of wide receivers out there, but I do think it's directly correlated to their 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 schedule for the first six weeks. I truly believe that. Right, yeah, we, we all know the player DeAndre Hopkins is and the impact that he provides to any yeah. team he's on, especially Arizona. So to see what the Cardinals do and how the Cardinals respond will be very, very interesting. But Alex, thank you for joining me here once again. And I'm, I'm really interested to see how the Cardinals use Marquise Brown, Rondo Moore, A.J. Green, and the rest of those guys while this Hopkins suspension plays out. Alex being on with me two weeks in a row, first talking about Marquise Brown, now DeAndre Hopkins. The Arizona Cardinals wide receiver room has had no shortage of news over the course of these last couple of weeks, and I appreciate Alice for coming on here and talking with me about both of those things. So that's all I have for you here today on Locked on NFL. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm going to get back in tomorrow. We'll be diving into more content with your Tuesday host, so be sure to stay tuned for that, and we will see you here tomorrow.